But now we're going to pick up, now that we know chapter 22 and chapter 26, 22 being, what must I do, Lord? What would you have me to do? And then chapter 26, we see where the Lord tells him what he is going to be doing. This all happened on the Damascus Road. And so now we're going to go back to chapter 9, and we're going to see him get up from the Damascus Road and actually enter into where? Damascus. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 8. This is after the conversation with Christ. This is what took place. Beginning in verse 8. So Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And this is not in my notes, but I want to bring you to, to a point to, so you can see Saul for just a minute. So you can see him. Now, my father-in-law lost his vision, began to lose his vision about, I guess, he began to lose it about, what, 18 years ago, Case 17? Okay, he was about 35. Now, if you see my father-in-law, Bobby, who's with us, Bobby is blind. He can see a little bit of light on one part in, in his eye, but the other is very, very blurry, and he has to have uh, a cane to fill around to see where he's going, right? Everybody's seen him walk. I want you to close your eyes for just a moment, because I want you to see how vulnerable Saul truly was. This man of power, close your eyes, everybody, please just do this for me. Close your eyes. Keep them closed. And you can hear that I'm in the same spot, can't you? You can hear that I've not moved. I'm just moving my head around. Now where am I? I've moved. Now where am I? In the back. It makes you feel vulnerable, doesn't it? Keep them closed. Keep them closed. Makes you feel vulnerable, doesn't it? You can open them up. As I walked towards the back, I got next to my daughter, and as I did, and I spoke, she jumped. It scared her to death. I want you to see what Bobby lives with every day. My father-in-law. Now, we've had fun and games with that a little bit. I've picked on him a little bit. I've, I've goaded him in the sides when he's, he's not expecting it. And we've laughed about it. But I want us to understand who the, this apostle, what was taking place with him. Saul was blind. He is now having to depend on somebody else. Right? This is what the Lord wants for us. And sometimes to get our attention, he does something just this drastic so we can depend on him 
to lead us. My father-in-law has to be led. Now sometimes my mother-in-law will run off and leave him. It's true. She'll see something, they enter into Walmart, Bobby's got his hand right on her shoulder, and all of a sudden she's gone. And what happens? Bobby, he can't go anywhere. Because he don't have any idea where he's at. He don't know the dangers, he don't know the problems, he don't know any of the things that's surrounding him. And what did the Lord do to Saul? The Lord took his vision. Why? So he would have to depend upon the Lord. Solely depend upon the Lord. So do y'all have a picture in your mind of Saul and the condition that he's in? He is in a house in Damascus. And if I had to guess... In the fetal position, curled up, praying. Why? Why? He couldn't see. The Lord told him what to do, so he did. Somebody led him there. Somebody led him there. Listen to what it says here, beginning in verse 8. Saul arose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Do you know that every single step step that my father-in-law takes is a step of faith? You know why? Because he is trusting and believing that the sidewalk is going to be in front of him the next step that he takes. He is trusting and believing that the one that is leading him is leading him in the right direction. It's a walk of faith. And this is what the Lord calls us to. They led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. The captor, Saul... Remember how he was hurdling everybody up and bringing them into Jerusalem? The captor, Saul, has now become what? The captive. Right? He has now become the captive. He has now been conquered by Christ. The captor has become the captive. The aggressor, the aggressive barbarian of a leader is now being led. This leader is now being led. Do you see what the Lord does when he gets a hold of somebody? He changes everything about him. The leader being led. The one who was accustomed to giving orders is now taking orders. Go unto Damascus. And when you get there, I will tell you what you are to do. He was giving them, and now he's getting orders, taking them. The one who held his head up high is now in Damascus with his head bowed, praying. The conqueror, Saul, has now been conquered. The one who didn't need help, 
He went about doing his work as now being led. He goes from full of hate to one of mourning and humility. The bitter has become the broken. The violent has become the vulnerable. How does this happen? How does it happen? Only by a work of God. Only by a work of God. No one can change this drastically without the hand of God doing it. It's impossible. Without God touching Saul's life, he would have continued in the path that he was going. He would have went to Damascus. Yes, he would have went there. But he would have been a different person. But the Lord intervened, and I praise God that the Lord intervened. And the reason why I praise God, and I may not even get to my sermon this morning, but I am praising God that the Lord intervened in Saul's life because he was a minister to the Gentiles, and that is you and me. I praise God that the Lord intervened in my life. And he has been intervening ever since. Ever since, he's been coming to me, saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. Raise your hand if the Lord has intervened in your life. Look at that. All of this, all of these witnesses can testify to a divine, to the divine God. Coming from glory to take part in their personal life. And I praise God for that this morning. We see a completely different Saul. From the time he was on the road to the time that he got up. Completely different person. Completely different. And this is what the Lord is capable of doing. Verse 9. And for three days he was without sight. And neither ate nor drank. Bobby knows what that feels like to be without sight. I don't know if anyone else knows. Maybe you've had a period of time where you had some work done on your eye or whatever and you had to have a patch or something, but three days. Three days were once a violent man is now in a territory of people that he once persecuted. A violent man, but now is vulnerable and he's in this position. And the only thing he can do is trust God. Why? Because that's all he's got. The Lord has completely stripped him of everything that he is, has, or was, or was to become. And now, he's vulnerable. Verse 9, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Saul, being obedient to Christ, went to Damascus after hearing what he would be doing in the future. We 
We read about what he would be doing in the future in Acts chapter 26 when he's standing before Agrippa and he, ta- and he is speaking to him and he says that he would be preaching and preaching to those, forgiveness of sins and bringing sight to the blind and all of these things after he hears this. After he hears this. He doesn't even attempt to eat or to drink. He knew that God had a calling on his life and he was going to fast. He wasn't going to eat, he wasn't going to drink until Ananias, who was promised to come to him, came to him. He was going to wait. I would say he called a fast in his own heart until the Lord spoke to him again by Ananias. Saul wanted to do exactly what he was called to do. You see how quickly his life changed? And I love to see this in a person that is uh, extreme. People that are extreme, I love to see it. Because the Lord gets a hold of them and they go from doing their own thing to God's own thing. And when that happens, they're just as extreme in that as they are in their own life. And I love to see that because you see it with Saul. He was violent and he persecuted, but now he is fixing to go and he is fixing to preach the gospel violently. He's fixing to go against the kingdom of Satan violently. The Lord is changing him into someone else. He has begun the good work and he is faithful to fulfill, finish, and complete that good work. He is still working on me, just as he is still working on you. It takes a lifetime to press the the coal out of this diamond that we have within us. It takes a lifetime to prepare us for glory. And this is what's fixing to take place now with Saul. So he went, and he stayed there, and he waited. He waited. Today's stopping and waiting. What happens if you stop at a red light and it turns green, and you stay? David, what happens? Somebody blows the horn. Does airplanes have horns? They don't. I was just, I didn't know. I was curious. That's always, you know, I just, it just came to my mind. You stop at a red light, it turns green, and you don't go, you're going to get the horn blown at you. Why? Because nowadays, going, 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 going is our culture. We don't stop. I got a chance to stop for five days last week. It goes against every fiber in my being to stop. To turn my phone off. To lose connection with the outside world. To not know how people are doing. To stop takes every ounce of energy in my body. To stop and sleep causes me to not want to stop and sleep. If any of that makes sense. 
Guys, we are in a society that tells us don't stop. Keep going. As a matter of fact, we got every advantage and every opportunity for us to not stop and for us to keep going. Battery chargers, gasoline, all of these different things. Everything keeps us and continues to feed us. And we don't ever stop and we don't ever slow down to smell the roses while we're alive. The Lord calls him here to stop. Why? So he can be ministered to. So he can be told what he is going to be doing. It goes against our culture for us to slow down. We think that if we take a day off, that we are lazy. That we have to be doing something. That we have to continue to go. We have to continue to do and work and not stop. But the last time I checked, Elijah was told to lay down and rest. The last time I checked after fire was called down on the false prophets and on the, on the sacrifice, the Lord said, lay down, take a nap. And then when Elijah got up and ate and was strengthened, the Lord said, hey, go back to bed. You need more rest. Paul, or Saul here, needed to stop. We know that the Lord's timing is perfect and it's not to be questioned. He shut him down here for three days on purpose. Sarah was an old woman who conceived late in life. An old woman who conceived late in life was promised, was promised a son but had to wait, had to wait for that promise to be fulfilled. She conceived Isaac and had a son, just as the Lord said. Noah was an old man. It was said that he would, he would bring comfort and, and would deliver. And he did. He did that. But in God's time... As an old man, he built a boat, and after which he entered into that boat as an old man, and after which he came off of that boat as an old man, still doing the Lord's work. But it was that time that the Lord wanted him to do that. And here, the Lord shuts down Saul for three days. And he says, buddy, you're going to stop, and you're going to wait on me. We need to understand that the Lord's time is not our time. We want to go, 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 go. We want things as it used to be on commercials, which we don't really have anymore. Your way, right away. What was it, Burger King? <laughs> was that it? You're away right away at Burger King now, I think is what it was. Yeah. That's what we're used to. But some things that we pray for, some things that we desire, 
Sometimes we have to wait for. We can't push them. We can't force them. Here, he was shut down for three days until Ananias came. The Lord told him to wait. But sometimes it takes years, doesn't it? While we're waiting, we are to be working. You say, what what are you talking about? Well, we're going to see that with Saul here in just a moment. Because while he was waiting, while he was shut down, while he was blind, while he was sitting over there fasting, Saul was still busy in the spirit. Saul was praying. He was praying. He was working. Verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And this is truly a tremendous Tremendous story. Because this Hananiah or Ananias, this was a familiar name if you recall in Daniel chapter 1. Hananiah. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? One of them was Hananiah. Ananias, same word here in the Greek. Ananias. There was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. This man is a disciple of Jesus. A Christian from Damascus. His life on paper, according to history, is very bleak. There's not much said about him. And it seems that the Lord used him for just this instance. Howbeit it was worth it. Because Ananias would be the vehicle by which the Lord would minister to Saul. Ananias. We don't really find anything about him, really think anything else about this man. But what we do find is absolutely incredible. You say, well, was he rich and flashy? Did he have everything that he ever wanted? Did Did he this? Did he that? No. But I'll tell you what he did have. Acts chapter 22 and verse 12, listen to what it says. This is what it says about Ananias. And this is where we get who he is. Acts twenty-two twelve. write this down in your notes. Saul is talking and he says this. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived There. That is all that is said about him. You say, why was he so incredible? Are you kidding me? He was a devout man. He was a devout man, one of the law. A devout man according to the word of God. And he lived above reproach. This man had a good name. It doesn't tell us that he had gold. It doesn't tell us that he had silver and all this wealth and all of these properties and all of this and all of that. No. It tells us that he was a man of the word and that he was above reproach. He had an incredible reputation. Incredible. You say, what's that worth? Everything. It is worth everything. He was a man full of devotion to the Word of God. 
and had a good report among the Jews in Damascus. An incredible reputation, a man above reproach, a man who delighted in the law of the Lord. And this truly is what the Lord requires of us, right? This is what he wants. One that delights in his word, that meditates on it day and night. The scripture teaches us that he will be like a spring that, or tree that is planted by the rivers of water. That it will produce his fruit in his season. Whatever he does, his leaf won't wither and his, his fruit will prosper. Psalms 1, 2 and 3. Blessed is that man. And so we have this in Ananias. And so it's, it's a, just a beautiful story of, of a man who on the outside may have just been a normal guy. But in the eyes of God, the Lord calls him to go to Saul, who would be the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest ever, to minister to him. Let's move on. This Ananias was a man that loved God's word, and now we see him yielding his fruit in his season, according to Psalms 1. Here he's yielding his fruit in his season. The Lord sees who this man is, and he says, You know what? I'm going to employ Ananias to go and to bring light. And immortality, or life and immortality to light. I'm going to go and I'm going to send him to Saul to do my work, to do my bidding. Best we can tell is he lived a quiet and a peace-filled life, loving God's word, loving others. Verse 11, and the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas... Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. Why is the Lord using Ananias instead of the apostles? Instead of Philip? Well, I mean, the Lord whisked away Philip with the Spirit and took him to another place. Why couldn't he do the same with Philip here? Well, he could have, but he chose not to. (laughs) Why didn't he use one of the originals in the upper room? Why is he using this man from Damascus? This man called Ananias. You want to know the answer? Because he can. (laughs) I love it. Because he can. And I love it because Psalms 115 tells us this and, and Joanne always gives me an eyebrow raise when I say it. The Lord is in the heavens and He what? Does whatever He pleases. So He chooses this man to go and to minister to Saul. And I love how the Lord can flip the script like this. Because I, I was expecting an, an apostle. 
I was expecting one that had been there that had done that, but no. He chooses Ananias from Damascus. Where else do we see him do this? Well, he chooses Rahab, doesn't he? The harlot. Behind that big wall of Jericho. He chooses her. But not only her, but right after that, he chooses Ruth. Right? The Moabitess. Who would expect her? Who would expect the harlot and who would expect the Moabitess to bring about the king of Israel, David? That would bring about King Jesus. And so you see him using those that we would never look at. Using those that we would never expect to accomplish his will. Look at Simon Peter. This man was ignorant. He was wild. And the Lord used him to be a preacher. He was a fisherman. And the Lord uses him to be unlearned. He was unlearned. They took notice he was unlearned. How funny is that? But the Lord uses him to preach one of the greatest sermons ever preached in Acts chapter 2. I remember the day that it got out and I told everybody that I surrendered to preach. My grandfather, who was more like my step-grandfather, I, I didn't know my real grandfather, but I didn't know him very well, my step-grandfather, uh, on my dad's side. When he heard that I had surrendered to preach, he said, I would have never have guessed that. I would never have expected that. We've looked at the Lord choosing Ananias to minister to Saul. Now let's notice just how specific the Lord is when it comes to our details. And this is where it's going to hit home at. This is where, if you've got a pen, you're going to want to write this down. Because this is where it's going to hit home and we're going to see where he gets all up in our business. The Lord ever got all up in your business? He meets you in a place you don't really want Him to meet you in? <laughs> yeah, He does that, doesn't He? Let me explain something to you today. If you are struggling, and I know that there are people struggling. I'm the pastor here. I know when people are struggling, they call me. I call them. They tell me, I'm struggling. If you're struggling, if you are weak, physically, spiritually, emotionally, whatever it may be, if you're trying to conquer and beat sin in your life, if you're depressed, which is actually real, it happened to Elijah, if you're depressed... I got a lot of these. If you are financially broke, maybe you are worried and scared. Maybe you are broken hearted. 
If you're in terrible health, if you are stagnant spiritually, if you are in a valley of decision or a period of waiting or a season of great spiritual growth or slow growth, maybe the Lord is calling you to obey Him. Take note what I'm about to tell you. Did any of that apply to anybody so far? By show of hands? They all applied, right? They do. I want you to write this down. Our God pays attention, very close attention, to our details. He's not just some big God that, that says, oh, he's doing all right. That's not the truth. That's, that's just not true. He helps us find our keys when we lose them. You understand what I'm telling you? He's all up in our business. He pays very close attention to our details, to the smallest of details. Here in God's Word, He tells Ananias to go to Saul. But listen to what He tells him about Saul. Saul is going to be at a street called Straight. This is better than GPS. What's fixing to take place. Do you understand that? This is better than GPS. He says, Saul is going to be at a street called Straight in Damascus. And Nice is like, I know where 4th Street is. I know where Straight is. Okay, I got you. He's going to be in the house of Judas on Straight Road. The house of Judas on straight road. So now he, lo- he, he brings it in even closer. Straight road, Judas's house. Let me ask you a question. If you go down 4th Street and you say, there's a man on 4th Street named Brother Matthew. Can you tell me where he is? Yeah, you know, I think he lived down there next to the church in the parsonage. Got a garden outside. You see him outside wandering around, walking, talking to himself. That's him. But listen to how close the details get. It gets even, it gets even closer. The house of Judas on straight road. He is a man. Notice the difference. This goes against our culture today. He is a man, not a woman. There's a very distinct, and I can't even believe I have to say that, but there is a very distinct difference between men and women. He's a man. That takes 50% of the population out on straight road. Y'all understand? We're getting real close to where this man is. But then it says he is a man from Tarsus. So on straight road, there is a man in Judas' house who is from Tarsus. Man, that is really narrowing in 
who the Lord is trying to get Ananias to go to. But it gets more than that. He is a man from Tarsus named Saul. Calls him by name. That's pretty particular. I mean, when we're counting details, the Lord zeroing in on this man. Like I told you, better than GPS. But then, it goes one step further. Ananias, if you have any trouble finding this man, when you enter into the house, into the house on street, on straight road, in Judas' house, when you see a man from Tarsus, a man whose name is Saul, you will also find that he is praying. He's praying. Can't we see that the Lord knows exactly where we are at? Can't you see that He knows your physical condition right now? How you feel? He knows your spiritual condition, how you very well may be drying up on the vine because of an absent prayer life or an absence in worship. Can't you see that if you're in a valley of decision or if you've got depression, that the Lord knows your heart? Can't you see that He sees you? If He can zero in on a man and lead another man straight to Him and tell Him to the detail that He is praying... You will find him praying. Don't you know that he can look at Robert and say, I know that you're grieving over your mother. I know, Corey, it's hard at college. Don't you know that he can look at you and know exactly what you are going through? This is why we trust him. Because He knows every ounce of our being. He knows every fiber, every hair that is left on my head. And they're leaving fast. The ones that have fallen out, He knew them. The ones that I still have, He knows. Psalms 139, Miss Helen's favorite psalm. Is all about this. As a matter of fact, let's go ahead and read it because I've not got to preach in a couple of weeks. Psalms 139. Listen to what it says. Miss Helen can quote it. I can't. Because she has hid it in her heart as the Scriptures tell us to do. Psalms 139.1, it says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. Does this sound like a God that is so far off that he cannot relate to us? Absolutely not. No, he is all up in our business. And I am glad that he intervenes. I am glad just as he intervened in Saul's life, just as he intervened in Ananias' life, he has intervened in my life and he knows everything about me. He knows my struggles, my strengths, my weaknesses. He knows what I'm dealing with, what I'm going to deal with, what I have dealt with in the past. And he loves me despite all of it. 
Listen to what he says. Oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. Kind of sounds like he's talking about Saul here. (laughs) Saul was praying. Don't think he was standing up. This was a man that had been humbled. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my laying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I'm on straight road in the house of Judas, in a corner praying, you know where I'm at. If I'm on 4th Street, out in my garden, hoeing out a row, you know exactly where I'm at. If I'm washing dishes at Jackie's in the back, you have not forsaken me. Do you understand what I'm telling you? The Lord is all up in our business. He knows our details. For some of you, that may scare you to death. But for me, even in my faults, I'm thankful He knows where I'm at. Even in my faults and in my wickedness, my sin, I'm thankful He knows where I'm at. Because I am His. And He is mine. And I am beloved by Him. I've been made accepted in the beloved, by the beloved, for the beloved. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me in your right hand. The hand of strength shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Does that sound like a God that does not know who we are? Not quite the opposite. 
It sounds like the God that we serve that is speaking to Ananias and that is speaking to Saul. A God that knows when we lie down and when we get up. A God that knows the anxiety that comes from sickness. A God that knows the mental well-being of us. And how we are going to react to things in the world. Don't think he does not know. He saw Hagar thirsty and he opened her eyes and he gave her water. Don't think he doesn't know what you're going through. Remember, he experienced it all on the cross. Jesus of Nazareth. So he narrows down who this is. And then he says in verse 11, and I'm done. Because we're going to get to this later, but I'm running out of time. Way out of time. He says in verse 11, For behold, he is praying. For behold, he is praying. One of the very first things that a child of God does when they become a child of God is pray. It's called communion. It's called fellowship. Relationship. Prayer. And without it, you could be single-handedly drying up on the grapevine if you're picking up what I'm laying down. Without prayer, without communion with the Lord, without speaking to Him, how are you going to ever know what He has for you to do and how much He loves you? I took Casey on a trip because I love her. And mentally she was about to lose it. (laughs) What? Truth. And me and myself. On that trip, we got to talk. And life had gotten so busy for us with four children. And just life, it had gotten so busy, we had to have time to stop. We had to have time to wait, and we had to have time to talk. And one thing that I realized is that after 15 years, the last time we had a real vacation where it was just us was five years ago. And we had forgotten a little bit how to be around each other without anybody else. I found it hard the first day to stop and to talk to my own wife. But after day five, it wasn't so difficult. It just wasn't. Because we got to stop. And we got to enjoy each other's company. And speak to each other. How are you going to know how much the Lord loves you if you don't ever stop and talk to Him? You may find it hard at first, just as the illustration I gave you, to start that conversation back up. 
But understand this. If you start that conversation back up with the Lord, you will find Him right there. Ready to speak back. Here in this text, we find that He is praying. And He's going to do that until He gets further instructions. And so I, I have a lot more, but I'm not going there any, any longer this morning. We've had, we've had enough. How would I sum up today? Be patient. Slow down. Wait for the Lord to speak. Speak to Him in the process. Everybody got it? Everybody? He knows where you're at. He sees you. He knows your heart's desires. Trust Him for every single step. Just as my father-in-law has to trust that one that's leading in front of Him. That's what the Lord wants you to do with Him. Let Him lead you. This is what He was trying to get Saul to see. And Saul saw what the Lord wanted him to see. Everybody get that? <laughs> all right. Know all about it. The Lord knows all about it. That's right. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you.